0: Tim and Sid, of course, I go by the name of the kid. Famous, wow. this here is the Tim and Sid show. You are now tuned in, coast to coast, entertaining the masses, sports entertainment. It's about to get started. Sit back, enjoy the show in five, four, three, two,
1: one. Let's go.
2: Hello, friends. Tim McAuliffe with you on this last day of 2020, oh my god thank you they, they, I got it oh.
3: glory,
2: glory
3: hallelujah
2: glory, glory All right. I have a feeling I'm not the only one excited to turn the calendar over to 2021 plus it's Friday tomorrow so hopefully you're able to enjoy a long weekend 2021, already better vaccines are coming i haven't wished for something to come so quick since i farted in an elevator at work thinking that it wouldn't stop between floors one and three and it stopped at two somebody got on awkward yes i digress and i think i'm digressing a lot uh today we are going to take a look back at the best of tim and sid with some of our favorite interviews from the year and what a year it was listen all seriousness, Sid and I have always prided ourselves on having all of the conversations. Seldom do we just stick to sports. So if you're looking for that, you might want to turn on the Rick Astley right about now. We take our role as the distraction very seriously. But there are some things that you can't turn away from, like a simple ask of equality. There was a lot of hurt in 2020, and we often opened up our airwaves without pretense to those who needed to talk, to those who wanted to talk, and to those who give a perspective that the two dudes who host this show could not. A global pandemic wasn't the only interruption to sport this year. No, while 2020 will be known for COVID-19, it will also be known as the year athletes stood up for what was right. And it was a moment of reflection for many of us, a moment of moral imperative, obligation for many of us some sports were put on hold reacting swiftly others paused for a brief moment not knowing how to react Sid and I have always said the show is a conversation and many times this year that's exactly what it was on today's best of Tim and Sid we are looking back at some of those conversations and no better place to start than the show that aired on Friday May 29th I'm not sure I'm more proud of a show than the one that we did on the Friday of the now infamous week. Before others in our industry began to embrace the movement that we all kind of, sort of knew we had on our hands, and before people began to twist and manipulate the stories and ideas to form what they thought, Sid and I were hurting. We could feel the hurt, the disappointment and sometimes the desperation among some of our closest friends in and out of the business. So before others presented their well-manicured specials, we had perhaps the most raw show we have ever had in this business. And the first two interviews of this show are from that one, beginning with Nate Burleson, who joined us just four days after the death of George Floyd as the streets of the United States we're flooding with protests.
4: Nate Burleson, good morning, football and CBS Sports. Nate, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys doing? It's, uh, it's a it's it's a weird vibe, man. Um, like you can't escape it. Like it's 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 one of the, it's one of those stories that you can't. Like I just want I just I just I'm just asking you how you are because I'm I'm I am removed from this in many ways. But watching it last night, watching it today, watching a president go after Colin Kaepernick and go silent today on this issue, um, I'm almost speechless. Yeah,
0: we're, we're in a position right now where <clears throat> there's so many voices um, that are um, at the forefront of what's going on. Some of the voices are louder than others um, when it comes to... President Trump, he decides to use his voice to say certain things in a certain way that can enrage a certain group of people if you understand what I'm saying. Yep. Um, but there's also there's also voices of those who decide to remain voiceless. and it's kind of what you guys are touching on. Here's the thing. if you're not African American, and you decide to remain silent, I'm not gonna hate you for that. Because you can identify, it might not hit you the same way. But if you're not African-American and you try to rationalize death of, I'll say a black man, because I am black, so I see color, or a human, if you try to rationalize death and it's something that's avoidable yet you're saying, well, if he didn't commit a crime or if he just listened, or it seems like he put himself in that situation um, or, you know, I just don't get it. So I don't understand what the big deal, death is inevitable and it just happens. Don't use your voice for that perspective. Um, I came out and I spoke on this issue because I wanted to make sure people understood that I'm not disconnected from what's going on in reality. Like, what would I look like as a black man to be sitting there posting a picture of a new shoe that I bought or, um, you know, what my family is cooking for dinner when there was a gentleman who was handcuffed saying he couldn't breathe for minutes on minutes on minutes on minutes and then asphyxiated till he did die while on camera? as a cop, looked into the camera with his hands in his pocket, as comfortable as ever. What would I look like posting about stuff that doesn't matter? So I decided to post. I decided to post a picture side-by-side of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee in a silent protest and also this man murdering George Floyd. And then I made a video after that saying, well, listen, here's my perspective. I am not asking for um, your forgiveness for posting something. I'm literally just telling you this is how I see things. And I get it. I get it. There's people that tune in sports shows and watch games and they say, listen, I'm just a fan. I just want to be a fan right now. Life is as intense as it gets. I, I get it. There's some stuff going on systemically in America. There's some social issues that have nothing to do with me. I got stuff going on with my job. My, my, my spouse is getting on my nerves and I, I got to go get diapers at six. And when I get off work, I just want y'all to make me, feel good about sports. I understand that. See, that's called understanding. Like, I I feel where you're coming from, right? As an athlete, as a guy who's been there, as a guy who was scoring those touchdowns and a guy who's now on TV, I get where you're coming from. I don't get mad at you for that. I understand it so much that I can answer that back by saying, I appreciate that. I'll do my best every time I'm on TV to give you what you need. But more importantly, I need you to understand that when I am out, when I am outside of my Comfort zone, which is my house in the suburbs or my studio where I record at or a uniform when I'm playing sports, I can't turn off my blackness. You know, some people could turn off TV, turn off the radio, and be like, yo, I'm going to just, I just can't take it no more, man. News is stressing me out. That's why I don't watch the news. Because it just seems like every time I turn it on, I just feel depressed. People can do that. There's a ton of people that can do that. I can do that. We can do that. Those listening can do it right now as I'm talking. But what I can't do, I can not turn off my blackness. I can't, I can't, I can't walk outside and, and, and tint it a little bit. I can't walk outside and, and get lighter a little bit. I can't walk outside and say, hey, today, you know what? Hey, guys, Nate Burleson, I'm going to just be something I'm not today just so, so I don't feel that, feel that anxiety. When a cop pulls me over, I can not say, you know what? All right, let me turn into white Nate real quick so my heart doesn't race and my stomach doesn't drop and I don't feel nervous and feel like my life would be threatened at any moment. And that isn't me taking a shot at any person in a uniform. I'm not generalizing. Anybody that knows me knows where I come from, know where I've been, and knows how I look at life. I look at humans as humans. I see color because I am that. But when it comes to understanding the world that we live in, as many superheroes as there are putting on uniforms that are out there fighting day and night for us to protect and serve, as many white people that I know that I can call brother sister, that's my family right there. Blood couldn't make us any closer. Yeah, there's there's people that that make them look bad. Just like there's African Americans that make African Americans look bad. Just like there's ball players that make ball players look bad. I don't get mad at you. I just hope you don't generalize. So when when people see a situation like this and a black man gets up and he starts talking about his plight and his pain and how he sees the world. I'm not asking you to identify and agree with me. I'm just asking you to have a little bit of empathy and understanding, because my version of America is in your version of America.
2: You know, we're sitting up here north of the border, and we like to, you know, we like to say that we're a little bit different, and you can argue that um, both ways. But the one thing that Sid and I wanted to do today was, and, and you did this. I felt like when you spoke. For those who don't know, Nate did a, a what was like sixteen minute talk into a camera that he posted on Instagram. Yeah, and and Nate, I was, I watched it and it was heavy. Uh, it was I, the only thing I wanted to do today was give you the opportunity to kind of do the same with us because I wanted to be there with you because that's all that we can do is is to not be silent and allow you know, the platform for you to, for you to speak. But when you, when you recorded it, when was it for likes and we're not doing this for likes, we're just doing this because you're a friend of the show and we want to hear your perspective and understand your opinion so that, so that we know uh, where you're coming from. But what, when you, when you sat down to do that, did you have any pretense in your mind or was it just no, just one platform, no pretense go.
0: I had so many people respond to my picture of cap taking a knee, and then that cop murder and George and I, I just thought there needs to be more dialogue. A picture can say whatever you want it to say. And I had so many different perspectives of it. Some people saying, "Well, Nate, I see those pictures and I don't like either of them. I I, I see those pictures and I feel like Cat was wrong and he's not a hero. I see those pictures and I feel like I feel like George, if he didn't commit a crime, he would still be alive." I, and I see, I see those pictures and, and I, I, I'm mad because a, a black man handcuffed should, should, should not have died. And in an avoidable situation, he should not have died. So I, I, I read all those and I just got tired of responding and responding because I, yeah. I want to I wanna talk to people. I don't, I don't want to argue with people. So I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do a video. I'm not going to write anything down. I'm going to just talk and speak from my heart. And you post it afterwards and let, and let whoever wants to listen to it, listen to it. I, there's a question that people keep asking. You can be black and removed from this. There's, I know there might be some folks that aren't directly connected to this type of pain are saying, well, well what can I do? Because obviously I see this is wrong and I know this is wrong, but what can I do from where I'm at? I'm not even in that city. I'm not even in that country. Like, what can I do? I think it's, it's, it's like the message I talked to about my kids. I can't I can't feel so much pain that I go downstairs and I generalize every white person and every police officer. Because if I do, my kids are going to walk outside and that seed is going to blossom into hate. And they're going to walk around with hate in their heart and it's going to spill out in conversation, it's going to spill out in school, it's going to spill out in confrontation. It's going to spill out And interaction with somebody in a position of authority. I can't do it. I refuse to do it. I wasn't raised like that. I feel like this place would be a better place if we don't plant those seeds of hate. We plant seeds of love. So when I talk to my kids, I'm like, look, what I need y'all to do one is understand reality. That when you walk outside, you could be perceived as a threat simply because of the color of your skin. All right. We understand what we've seen on TV time and time again and these are the things that are caught on camera. Imagine what hasn't been caught on camera, all right? I give them that real reality. And then I give them the other reality, and I'll say, look, there's real-life, real-life cops that are superheroes. There's real-life men and women that are different races of you that are amazing people. There's people that look like you that are amazing, there's people that look like you that aren't so amazing, okay? But I need you to understand that when you're sitting in a moment where somebody something ever so subtle and we've all been guilty of it i have whether you hear a joke that is driven by stereotypes whether you say something that you saw on a comedy special that might have the slightest bit of racism but you're like man i ain't racist come on now i ain't that type of dude but I, i think it's funny or you or you're with a group of people and somebody says something and you don't say anything i feel like we're at a point now in 2020 where as uncomfortable as it may be, you say, hey, yo, nah, that ain't cool. And if they want to hit you with the, oh, who are you? You, 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 Mr. Uh, politically correct? Well, maybe I am. I just feel like right now that isn't the time. And I, I feel like right now that isn't, that isn't cool. So when I talk to my kids, I tell them that. And I was like, you don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be the guy that saves the day, but you can walk with a certain sense of integrity. And the reason I, I wanted to start with my kids and younger kids, because that's the younger generation. This hate is coming from somewhere. Whether it's racism or a cop that sees a black man and he either hates him or fears him, I feel like like this all started somewhere. There was a a, a seed planted somewhere. So for those asking like, yo, Nate, what can I do? All I ask is that when you see death and you have a heartbeat, you let your heart talk to you,
1: which, if it's
0: a real heartbeat, you feel sad. And just show a little empathy and understanding like, damn, that should not have happened. I feel bad for the situation. I feel bad for that family. I just hope this works out and justice takes its course. That's that's one thing. And you don't even need to, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to teach. You don't need to go out and protest. You just need to have that feeling inside. And we know when it's genuine. Second thing is you teach kids and teach yourself that in a moment where people start to, throw a little bit of the hate around and spew a little bit of racism and that subtle like stereotypes. If it's not in a way that we can all we can all and I mean all of us 100% of us laugh at and think it's funny then I think somebody should just be like that's not cool because those things those things those are the roots of the racism and, I, and, I, and that's all I ask. I've had a bunch of friends that or white that have reached out to me and like, Nate, man, we go back a long way. I love you. And the first thing I say is I love you too. What can I do? What can I do? I was like, just keep being a voice when things are wrong. Just keep being a voice.
4: Nate, your voice was needed today. And um, I know there's back and forth about your schedule and whatnot. I am very thankful and Tim and the audience that you managed to find time for us today. And um, I don't know what to say off that other than... um, We appreciate you, and we're listening, and our audience really appreciates you, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best over the coming days. Thank you very much, man.
0: Hey, listen, um, we met, seems like a short time ago, but we've became so close since then, and I appreciate you guys. And I tell you that when I see you, and when I describe you guys as my brothers, I truly mean that. And I feel your energy when we're laughing and joking, and I also feel your energy when things aren't going so well. Um, even across the border, um, I feel like um, we're as close as ever. So thank you for everything you guys do in the sports realm. Um, but moments like this, I really define who you are. And
2: I'm appreciative to just be associated with you, too. Uh, same and goes up. the other way. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Have a good be one, well, guys. stay well, and all the best to the family. All right. Where is uh, Nate Burleson? I've, I've been quoting Dr. King a lot, Six Arrow. Um, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And we're, we're listening um, today. We're listening a lot, but we're trying not to be silent. We will continue the conversation with our friend Kenny Smith after this. You're listening to the best of Tim and Sid on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to the Best Opinion, Sid. I am Tim McAliff. big thanks, to Nate Burleson, for opening up like that. Immediately after talking with Nate on that infamous Friday, at least for us, we spoke to another one of our favorite guests, Kenny Smith, which included some feedback from you guys. Have a listen. Nicholas writes in and says, uh, Nate Burleson, so incredibly well-spoken. This is a very powerful segment. Much respect to Nate. Greg wrote in and said, Nate is awesome. Please thank him, Greg. You just did. And Phoenix wrote in and says, that was amazing. With an exclamation point. And then Nate Burleson's name tagged to it. So we appreciate Nate for stopping by. And it's kind of been a friend of the show day. A lot of listening from Sid and I, and we're okay with that. Uh, We've been talking for a long time throughout all of this. And in the last week, um, Kenny the Jet Smith, another friend of the show, is joining us here. And, and Kenny, uh, welcome to the show. We, ca- we kind of opened the floor to provide the platform without pretense today with the understanding of how important unified voices are, but also uh, contrasted by our role as a distraction. So we humbly offer up the opportunity to start with the with the heaviest of topics or with all the positivity that you've been spreading on Instagram um, over the last three months uh, we could start there or somewhere in between it's up to you first off how are you and the family doing
1: well everyone's doing well man good to hear you guys voice of course as always uh, my favorite city Toronto and uh, you know I, I I would say let's start let's start where you left off you know with Nate I think uh, I think heaviest topic is, is easiest to, um, you know that's that's what they're on the front forefront of everyone's mind and I' I'm, I'm, you know whatever you have to ask Hopefully I have the answer. I just have my opinion, and they are my opinion. So, you know, that's all I could say. (laughs) All
4: right. Well, let's go down that road then, Kenny. Um, What happens now?
1: Well, I think, you know, and and, uh, obviously we're talking about George Floyd for anyone who's coming in um, uh, to the telecast late. Um, I I think what happens now is just, you know, there has been an awareness, another – source of awareness of what's going on and what's happening. Now after the awareness is what is the solution and what is the base of the solution. uh, You know, we can continually debate, we continually argue, but at some point we have to come up with solutions uh, and solution based. Me personally, uh, I've been a more of a solution based person for some reason in my life. I'm not saying it's better or worse, than more of a spark plug activist. So meaning I'm not Paul Revere. The British are coming. The British are coming. We need that. But there was somebody after the British came that said, this is what we're going to (laughs) do. And I'm more on that second wave of people. But that first wave of people is important to have the British are coming. And the British are here in terms of racism. Uh, You know, that part of racism is here. Um, And it's something that we now need to figure out solutions for.
2: So what can we do as allies Kenny what, what can we do as people who who want to help what what can we all do? Well I, I
1: think I think initially you know as um, as Ameri- Americans and Canadians, I think the first thing that we can do in people of color, people of non color is lead by example because this is habitual um, this is conduct that is very, Imitated, uh, contacted, very learned. And I think it's a, it's a point where you have to really enforce your own behavior. Because I have a group of friends that I know that when I say something, they watch what I say and do. And, I, and I'm sure we all have that. Children at home. So there are certain things that t- systematically that you might have been callous to that you can no longer be callous to.
4: Kenny, the jet smith here on, on Tim and Sid. Kenny, I'm watching, um, as we're talking to you, I'm watching MSNBC and I'm already seeing a highway in San Jose and it's around just after three thirty where you are a highway in San Jose has been overrun and we're a long way from dusk and, and these stories and what concerned me the most about last night was the story gets hijacked and the the actual reason sometimes just the media will will twist it in any which way is that
1: that are you afraid of that honestly no i think it'll go away because there are there are there are people who who a lot of times when they don't there are people who when they're faced with adversity they they have a a behavior that is uh i would say Thought-provoking and saying that they're going to do things this way. Then there's people who face adversity and don't and feel they don't have an opportunity to vent their their way of thinking. They react that way, and we have to understand that it's not the reaction always that we have to pay attention to. We have to think of why do people feel that way? Why do I feel I want to tear down my neighborhood, tear down things in my own neighborhood? based on the fact of how other people are treating. So that's where we have to look at, and we can't be delusioned to think that if I slap someone in the back of the head five times, (laughs) on the fifth time, the person reacts differently than they might have reacted the first time. And we can't look at the reaction of the fifth time and say, well, why did you have that behavior? Well, that, that too shall pass. But what we have to understand is why are you smacking me in the head,
2: period. Okay. The jet Smith joining us here on Tim and said, the one thing that I, I I keep going back to because I don't know the answer to it. And, and as we've already established, you're more about the solutions. So if, and I, I, all I could think of when you were saying about that, that too shall pass was Dr. King's quote about rioting being the language of the unheard. And all I can think of is, well, if, if Colin Kaepernick has a peaceful protest and you don't like that, um, what started off in Minneapolis and St. Paul was a peaceful process that some people didn't like. How do you want us to protest? D- does that ever run through your mind? Like, how do we bring up the unheard's voice? Yeah, I, I think
1: the it, it, it's twofold. It, it does bring awareness to because there's a there's a there's a group, and and it's not anyone's fault. There's a group of people that. Like right now, what's the weather in Toronto? I have no idea. What is it? 20,
4: 20 minutes, it's, it's, it's decent. Yeah, it's decent. It's like 75. It, it's what, it's 75, like
1: 75. Okay. It, it's raining in New York right now. Okay. But you're in Toronto, and you're not feeling the effects of the rain in New York. So there's a group of people that throughout the way they live, how they live, what they brought up, their ethnic background, they're not being rained on. So it's very difficult for them to relate to what right. it feels like to have rain so now the visualization of it and the filming of it is starting to bring an awareness to people who aren't being rained on so now it does help <laughs> so any form of protest is starting to bring awareness to the people who aren't being rained on I, right i'm not sensitive to someone possibly as sensitive maybe to someone who's getting rained on in new york because i'm in sunny california right now but i have to be sensitive if it rained 365 days on them I'm like, wait a minute, like, what can I do? Can I send something? Can I stop something? I have to at some point be a concerned citizen globally. And, it, and, and just as much as, and this is where I think everyone in Canada understands and, and people around the world, just as much as it's a, a racial profiling of black people, it's also a racial profiling of poor people. So poor people get treated a different way than rich people. So yeah. when you're in those neighborhoods and you're poor, it also spills to all. It's limited to African Americans, even though we are at the forefront.
4: Kenny, the Jet Smith here on Tim and Sid. Kenny, earlier in the show, we ran a clip of a uh, Vander Kane of San Jose Sharks. He was on uh, first take today, and he kind of he said we we need names like Tom Brady and Sidney Crosby to kind of start making start speaking out on this. Do you think there I, is I think a that. responsibility? Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah no, no yeah I like your question go ahead I'll let you finish. Oh, you no, say, you I just see. say do you think
4: do you what is the responsibility in a moment like this for the highest of of the high profile names in our in our business in sports and we know who they are is there a responsibility to not be quiet now and should they get criticized whoever they are for being quiet
1: I think that um, for me. This is just my opinion. Um, I think that when you have, when you're asked your opinion on how it is, you should give it. Some people, there are people in this world who have who have the ability to create calls of action. Dr. King was one of those people, you know, on, on the highest level. Everyone does it then, but they were behind Dr. King. There were thousands and thousands of people who never came up with the idea of the march on selma but just participate that's it so you don't have to always be the one because you're the best in your sport to um come up with the call of action but it is an obligation as a citizen of the world forget the united states canada the world For social injustice for you to participate in that not happening that's it it's like i'm gonna participate I see a couple of causes. I can't come. Hey, well, how can I participate? I can't always figure. I'm not asking Tom Brady to come up with a solution for black, for black Americans. But I think he should participate and whoever else. And any, If that comes to you, you should participate in social adjust, injustice. You shouldn't be forced to come up with how you should do it. No, I don't believe he should be forced to come up or any athlete or any person, honestly. But you should participate.
2: Kenny Smith joining us here on Tim and Sid. Bef- before we we say goodbye, and we're doing a lot of listening today, and and sometimes uh, that's as good as the conversation is to listen, but I, I do want to just point out the positivity that you've been spreading on Instagram because it's been unbelievable. Whether it's a Sunday conversation or doing good things for people out there, like what's the experience before this week been like for you and what you've been doing on Instagram? Because I've been watching from afar and I want to give you horns. <laughs>
1: Well I think that even during this time it's about inclusion of people and inclusion of everyone and everyone needs hands. So I just felt that, you know, I was doing these conversations. I had, you know, Shaquille on there, I've had DJ Khaled, Two Chain, Snoop Dogg, Donovan Mitchell. I've had basketball everywhere. I mean, common. It was just a plethora of a of stars coming on and off of, of yeah. the of the show. And I thought it was like I was like, man, but these people, what can I give them different than anybody else is saying? And so I thought it was important to maybe just give away a week of groceries and do my small part. So in between each person, I would just give away a week of groceries. I would give me your cash out, I'm gonna send it. Give me your cash out, I'm gonna send it. Uh, and I didn't think, and it came from my six year old daughter because she watched uh, the Ellen show and they gave, do all the giveaways. And she was like, right, you should yeah. do that, daddy. Uh, give away, I was like, wow, that will be cool. And so I bring her on and bring on my other son, Malloy, and we just give away groceries. And I didn't think it would have the reaction, guys. And people started crying for just a week of groceries. And I was like, wow. So now I knew that I was on to something. And it's just been a great you know, way that I feel I can give back in my small way to give back to people who just pay attention to me. You know, there you go. Okay. Well,
4: Kenny, you, uh, every time you come on, you give us a little something, too. And uh, and we appreciate it every week, especially today. And and thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it.
1: Man, I appreciate you guys, man. You you guys are giving people, and this is what it's about. You you know, you asked what can you do? You gave a forum to talk about an issue that everyone in their life, no matter what race, creed, color you are, if you're a woman, you've experienced it in a small in a degree. You, if you're African-American, you're, if you're Indian, you're, like everyone experienced it. But just maybe not the magnitude that's happening at certain times. But you've all, we've all experienced it.
2: That was Kenny Smith. And it's important that we keep those conversations going, even if the mainstream feels like it's moved on. We'll continue this. And the best to Tim and Sid. After the break, Justin Morrow of TFC. Welcome back to the best of Tim and Sid on this New Year's Eve. Please be smart, kids. We continue an astonishing look back at what athletes and what all of us had to endure in 2020. Dealing with COVID, of course, and perhaps the most important social justice movement of our time. Next up, in the best of, Toronto FC's Justin Morrill, the executive director of the MLS's Black Players Coalition.
4: Justin joins us here on Tim and said Justin, we appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this.
2: Yeah,
3: thank you guys. Thanks for having me and letting me use this platform to talk about this.
4: Well, let's um, let's let's keep that platform going here. This is um, this this is something that developed uh, just last Friday officially in terms of us. How long behind the scenes, Justin, had this been going on since the the public execution of George Floyd?
3: Yeah, so you're right. We announced last Friday on Juneteenth, but it's came together on the back of George Floyd's death and I think we'd be dishonest as as a group if we said that wasn't what galvanized us to get together so you know in in only a day or two after his death uh, we could see that a bunch of players were having chats you know group chats with with their teammates group chats with guys that they played with and so we were able to to get a chat going that coalesced kind of that and, and got us all together on one page and then You know, within five days, we had a Zoom call. Like, 70-plus guys were on it, and it was just a really, really memorable call. You know, we hadn't seen each other for, you know, for months because of the pandemic, and and we had tense return-to-play negotiations, and then, of course, George Floyd happened, so, like our worlds were crumbling and it was just a, a lot of love shared on that call to see each other and, and share our anger and, and pain and frustration about what was happening. And, and it was really there that we decided that we needed an organization to fight for ourselves and fight
2: systemic racism. Th- that call intrigues me a lot, Justin. So how many players were on the call? And I've, I've read a couple of different places where it touched you. Can you tell us why the call meant so much to you?
3: Yeah, so there was about 70-plus Black MLS players on the call. And, and like I was saying, we these are guys that are used to seeing each other like weekly, whether it's playing with each other or playing against each other. And so because of the pandemic, we had no contact with each other. And so just the fact of Lone to, to see all their faces was joyful to me. But then on top of that, we came together unlike any time before and, and shared love and compassion for each other. And it was really memorable because... There were some passionate speeches. There were some very passionate speeches that I'll never forget about why we need an organization to speak up for ourselves and what type of change we can make in this league and in our communities around us.
4: Justin Morrow, Toronto FC, joining us here on Tim and Sid. Justin, Don Garber, Commissioner of MLS. What have the conversations been like with him since this became official? What are your expectations of what the league needs to do as well?
3: Yeah, so we've had very positive conversations with him already. Uh, Things that we don't like in the league that we see are a lack of of black representation at the highest level, at the executive level in Major League Soccer, and also at the head coaching level. So we've talked about implementing initiatives like implicit bias training, cultural education courses league-wide, and hiring of a chief diversity officer, which will help bring about the
2: change on that level. How... I mean, listen, Sid and I are both huge fans of football worldwide, and, and this is not something new to football. It's not something new to the world. Um, football has struggled with racism, but does that give you perhaps even a bigger platform to make change, Justin, because there's been such a, a storied history and such a storied battle within the game that it might actually give you a, a higher platform because people understand that there is a problem? And there are a lot more allies out there that you might be able to uh, to work with to, to achieve some of these things.
3: It does give us a great platform. And you're right. Uh, racism is, is rampant in the world of football. You look at a country like Italy and see all the the degradation that black players are treated with over there and that they have to endure. And you can see how much a country like that needs an organization like this. So if we could be the first ones to really group and formally announce as an organization, maybe other leagues can see that too, but you see it in the sports landscape in North America as well. I know the NHL yeah. announced their diversity Alliance recently, you know, we saw that and we were like, Oh, this is cool. This is something that we can do too. The NFL has the the players coalition. And so I think when all of these groups get together and, and, eventually advocate on one platform, you're going to see a very powerful movement.
4: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Justin Morrow Toronto FC joining us here on Tim and Sid. Um, Justin, you are you're an Ohio kid um, working in Canada. What was it like watching that through the Canadian lens, considering you have worked in this country now for a little bit? What, did you look at that differently, having, having been on Canadian soil? for as long as you have. What was your perspective on that?
3: Yeah, it was really tough because I'm I'm sitting over here in Toronto where things are relatively calm and just seeing the United States burning on fire. You know, my parents live there. I have tons of friends and family that live there. I've become close with ex teammates that are sc- scattered around the United States playing on different teams there. Um, Ike Opara plays in Minnesota. I'm really good friends with, and so I'm on the phone with him every day you know, asking if he stayed, seeing what's going on over there. And so I felt a little disconnected and it it was really tough. You know, I I was watching the news every day and really absorbing as much as I could. In Toronto, it's, it's been very calm and I'm happy to live here. I envision myself living here after I'm done playing too, because I feel like the diversity here and the way people treat each other is perfect. And, and I know it's not perfect, but in my experience, it's been really good. And so I'm happy to be here. And I just felt a little bit disconnected to what was happening in the United States. And I want to help as much as possible.
4: Justin Morrow, the executive director of the MLS Black Players Coalition, joining us here on Tim and Sid. Um, Justin, I know a lot, a lot of the discussion is about the opportunity potentially ahead of NBA players and MLS players during this stretch where you guys come back to further social justice causes. The other conversation that has emanated from this, especially from the NBA side publicly, is, is this the right time? And I and I respect that opinion. I understand that opinion. I get it. In in the conversations you have had, even that initial Zoom call, Justin, you were talking about, how much of it was, is this the right time to play, considering what's going on in America right now?
3: Yeah, my, my experience with that is my group was not talking about playing at all. My group was talking about the things that we can carry on um, off the pitch and, and really make a change not only in Major League Soccer but outside of the world as well. And so if you look at an opportunity like Orlando to, to bring us together as a group and use that platform, I think it's a good platform and, and we should be using it.
2: I know your dad's a police officer or, or was a police officer. Um, does that give you a yeah. different perspective on the conversation of the last month?
3: It does. And and someone asked me recently, my dad retired now. He, he served 30 years for the Cleveland police. Um, someone asked me recently what my relationship was with the police and how do I view it um, as having a father, a black father, growing up in Ohio, who was a policeman. And, you know, I was always taught to respect the police and I had um, very good encounters with police. And so my, my view um, to this day is tarnished a little bit, but it's still intact. That relationship, that positive relationship with the police is still intact. Um, And I think it's tough for a lot of people because that's not the case. That's simply not the case. A lot of people see what's happening in the United States and, and see the police as the bad guys. And I know that if we could ever get back to the relationship the way it's supposed to be, um, that's when the most positivity will happen.
4: Just a moral Toronto FC here on Tim and Sid. How, have, how do you focus now on this tournament, Justin? How, how difficult will that be? Will it will be difficult. Will it, will it be also a bit of a, a release to kind of get back out there with the guys and and try and rack up some regular season wins and and make a run in this MLS's back cup. Like what's what's your mentality going into it?
3: Yeah, from for me it'll be difficult. You know, I'm trying to find that balance between um, the Black Players Coalition and putting my heart and soul into that because I know I want to make change and and doing what I do on the pitch as well. You know, that's that's a hard balance to find right now. Because, as you mentioned, my lens has changed a little bit. And, and that's where my mindset is at. And I know a lot of my players, a lot of my teammates are happy to be back out on the pitch. And so I, I will do my best job to, to make sure that we're winning and that we're having a positive
2: experience in Orlando as well. Well, one of the things is, uh, is dialogue, and we all know that. And listen, uh, the past has been filled with dialogue, and it hasn't always worked. But uh, anytime that you wanna have a dialogue and you wanna use our platform, we've been saying for about a month now, uh, we offer up this platform without pretense, Justin. So if you ever wanna come back and, and use this platform uh, to, to, to harness a little bit of dialogue and harness, I, always, I was having a conversation, I might, I might diverge here a little bit, but I was having a conversation with one of my friends. And one of the things that I think is supremely important as we move forward are good experiences. And I know, you know, listen, I have a, a bunch of friends who are police officers, and I have a bunch of friends who are people of color who are police officers. And one of the things that I was saying about that is when you have good experiences, that can lead. If you have good experiences with anybody, it leads to conversation, it leads to dialogue, and those things lead you to see people as human beings. And when we see each other as human beings, we are way better off. Than when we see each other as rivals or someone on Twitter yelling and screaming. And and that's the thing that I think we need to get to more often. And and maybe that's, you know, where I see what you're doing right now and what anyone can do and how they come together is to get to those that those conversations and those those good experiences along with the bad experiences that help shape our viewpoints.
3: You're exactly right. I mean, everything that's happened in the United States in the past two weeks around the George Floyd death. There's been a lot of bad things there, but the good thing is that we're having conversation because you know what? You have to acknowledge it now yeah. it's in your face and you can't deny that racism exists. And so these conversations are being had like you said and that's the positive that's come out of it.
2: Not gonna lie, it's tough to relive some of this, but it hasn't magically gone away either. So we keep the conversation going by remembering the hurt. Let's hope 2021 brings us so much more than 2020 did. Back with more next on the best of Tim and Sid.
5: Time for Tim and Sid. Time for Tim and Sid. Time for Tim and Sid. Time for
0: Tim and Sid. All right. It's time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McCallum and Sid
2: Saxero. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs, and hurry the bleep up 2021. We need you. I'm Tim McAlef. This is the best of Tim and Sid on Sportsnet 5, 9 in the Fan. I've often said, before you know where you're going, you have to know where you've come from. And in a piece by Leslie Dwight, she said, What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awaking us from our ignorant slumber. It's the best way that I could get into three white dudes talking about the greatest social movement of our time. Because as people talk about being allies, or moreover, friends in the fight, I think our conversation with Brendan Shanahan is also important. Here is the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who also thought it was important to stand up for
4: what's right. Brendan Shanahan, president of the Leafs, is joining us online. Brendan, are you uh, are you knee deep in phase two? What what's the, what's the phase two experience in the NHL, Brendan?
1: Um,
6: well, it's, it's really the guys uh, voluntarily coming in and getting off, getting sort of the rust off, and um, you know it's it's under very strict policies and procedures and. Uh, small groups, and uh, the NHL had a very thorough uh, document as to uh, in which they worked with the NHLPA as to how this would go. But uh, you know, we've we've we have about uh, just over 20 players that are here in Toronto um, that are, are working out. So it's it's been quite busy um, for us.
2: Have you been back in the building yet?
6: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been back in the building. I've, I've, I'm not allowed to come, uh, within contact of the players, but I've been able to, uh, view the operation and I've, I've come in at different times when the players aren't there. I've come in uh, when the players are there. I I'm sort of off in a, in a different area. I can, I can watch behind a glass or up, up top on a balcony, but, uh, you know, uh, I want to respect the rules that they've, they've come out with. And, uh, uh, but it's important for me to see that things are going well and, and get some communication with the guys and see how they're doing. But you know, one of the things before we get into all that, and I, I do, I do want to talk about hockey. But but I but I also think that this is a, an opportunity for me to, to talk a little bit more about what's been going on in our community Absolutely. and around the world uh, with Black Lives Matter. And um, you know, I, I think as an organization, we've been very blessed to have. Great leadership, uh, guys that that have uh, personal experience, uh, like like Masai and Ali Curtis, and you um, know, I just want to, you know, I I just want you know, to say that it's. Um, I'm I'm sorry, my wife's walking into the room right now. <laughs> no problem.
4: No
2: problem. We've all we've all had it, Brendan. Yep.
4: <laughs> I break my train of thought eight times an hour, Brendan. It's yeah. fine. It's normal for the show. Mine
2: though. is two kids, and one of them is playing 2K in front of me. But go ahead I,
4: if you're I, okay. Everyone's
2: gotten gotten used to walking in and doing the fine <laughs> language, which I don't still,
6: still know yes. what they want. They still have to just sort of ask what do they need. But are you good? You know what? I, I good, think let us know. Can, one of the things that one of the things that really inspired me when when Masai came out with his op-ed was you know they you know part of his call to action was was to call out white leaders and it's funny i wrote him uh it's not funny but i, I wrote him afterwards and i said I, i'm really glad that i wrote that because quite honestly and and you know when something like this happens um you you as a white person you feel um you feel embarrassed and you feel ashamed and you also what i said that messiah is I, I i feel like i should be quiet and slink into a corner and, and, and just not be heard from. And his, his op-ed, you know, sort of said just the opposite. And while I think it was important for, for us as a hockey organization, which is a very white sport to, to let the Raptors and to let the Argos and TFC and our wonderful leaders there, um, take the lead. Uh, the one thing I wanted to make clear to them and make clear to all of our fans and our League fans and our employees is is where we stand as Toronto Maple Leafs and where we stand, where I stand as an individual and where we stand as people. And, um, you know, our call to action right now is is, is to to educate uh, ourselves and and to learn. And that might sound like, well, what don't you know? How you're 51 years old? Like how, what have you not learned? And The reality is even reflecting, you know, I think that this time has caused even people who don't feel that they're racist and people, you know, I I felt like I was raised well by my parents and my wife and I have raised our children not only to not be racist, but to also speak up uh, when we see racism. But um, I I think that it makes you reflect and say, well, have I done enough? And quite frankly, uh, I haven't. And to me, looking back at my friends that I grew up with that were black uh, or teammates that were black, I, I never witnessed them, um, you know, dealing with racism. So I made an incorrect assumption that things must be fine. And looking back and reflecting, I don't ever remember going to them and saying, well, you know, I'm sitting back and thinking, that things are okay for you, but why don't you tell me how things are for you? And I think that that's an important time period that I'm in personally and that we're all in is, regardless of where we feel we've, we've stood, you know, through our lifetime and through our actions, this is really a time for us to listen more and learn more. And and and, and it's just not enough to sort of say, well, you know, what's in my heart is is – there's no racism in my heart, and my children have not been raised that way, and and no one, no one does any act of racism in front of me that doesn't go uh, addressed. I, I feel like it's a time for us to be more, I think it's just a time for more activism, and that is currently where we are, and I, I see the importance of posts, and I see the importance of sort of stating uh, what you're going to do, but... I think what we are, feel very um, – where we feel very um, – a responsibility and a responsibility that we, ha- we are happy to have as, as white leaders uh, in, at MLSC uh, or in Toronto or in the sport of hockey. Um, we, we have an ability to actually have a tremendous impact, I think, um, and, and not just step aside and ask and wait for black leaders to do this on their own. And as as news cycles shift and, and they always do, I just think that people need to know that 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 we, uh, myself, Kyle Dubas, our Maple Leafs players, we're not waiting for this news cycle to shift. Uh, this has been a changing moment for the entire world and. I remember moving to the States in 1987 and Central Park Five and Rodney King and, and, and Trayvon Martin and, and all the way right up to George Floyd. And to, to assume that these things weren't happening before is incorrect. What's happening now, like my, my children ask me, is is this happening more often? I said, I don't know that it's happening more often, but it's certainly being captured more often in And the idea, what we all saw with that policeman casually leaning, kneeling on a man's neck for over eight minutes um, is so sickening to everyone And, and it's so painful to everyone that I do think that there's an opportunity for change here, as everyone does think there's an opportunity for change. And as a white leader in a a very white sport, in an organization which we recognize we can be better and we can do more and we will do more, I just think that now is really a time where we have to make real plans so that this isn't something that we say, we made a donation, we made a tweet, and we've moved on. We need to have some immediate results. And more importantly, we need some long-term results because this, has been de- this is something that has developed over 400 years. We're not going to fix it in a week. We're not going to fix it in a year. But we have to be a part of the solution. And I think that, um, you know, I, I wanted to take this opportunity before we got into the hockey to, to just state that we're fighters. And if they want us to lead, we'll lead. If they want us to be led, we'll be led. But we are right with Black Lives Matter and any form of discrimination of any kind.
2: Well said, and I think the franchise in this country has a great deal of power. And, and Brendan, both you and I grew up in the GTHL or the MTHL, as it was known back then. My son plays in the GTHL. uh, And I know a lot of those kids look up to your players is that a place, and I know it's had its problems. Minor hockey has had its problems in the past. I've seen it firsthand. Is that a place where the Toronto Maple Leafs feel like they can make a difference in minor hockey so that the the inclusion begins there and it develops from minor Adam till any of those kids get up into the pros?
6: It, it absolutely is. And it's, and it's uh, in, in a variety of issues that, that, Toronto needs, and, and where we can be leaders. But this specifically, of course, and you know, as, as you know, 99% of these boys and girls playing uh, organized hockey in Toronto will will not ever step into uh, onto the ice of a professional in the National Hockey League.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: But what they are and what they can be are, are certainly leaders. Leaders in their schools, leaders in their hallways, leaders when they when they. you know transition from 16 to 17 to 18 where they're they're not playing hockey anymore and they're just moving on to college or or work or or whatever um we do have an opportunity to have a voice and and that's the part where i i I think we just have to take more action and like i said that's that's on me and that's on this organization and you know as they as i learned growing up uh, with you know with my, uh, with my St. Leo's education, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so uh, I can have all the good intentions in the world, but without action, it's not going to really accomplish anything. So that is uh, just one of the many areas. I know, I know at MLSC, we've, we've, we've talked to um, a group out of the United States that I believe the MBA had, 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 had talked about to us, which is called fearless dialogue. And it's, we're all, all, every leader, including myself, every leader, anybody that is in a leadership position at MLSE next week will be going through training with them. Um, it's not going to be overnight. I, I don't think that we're looking to do something, you know, s- splashy to, to get a headline and then, like I said, put it behind us. We, we need, we think we're educated. We need to be better educated so that we can take better action.
4: President of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan, right, yeah. here on Tim and Sid. Um, Brendan, just, just reading and listening to some quotes from your players as as stage two has gotten underway here about this issue, Zach Hyman, Morgan Riley, John Tavares. It's, it's, it's obvious there is a common thought here and it is along the lines of, of what you have expressed to us. Um, the next step for a lot of sports is what happens when the games begin, what happens before the games, what type of peaceful protest will we see based on conversations you've had with the guys? Do you expect to see that? and, and, I am anticipating they would be supported based on what you've just said to us, but just to confirm that they will be supported.
6: Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I was, um, I, I was pleased to see the NFL go back on, on their stance. Um, you know, we can say it's too late, but I mean, it's, I don't know whether it's ever too late to, for someone to go back and say they were wrong and apologize. Uh, I see John Tortorella has recently changed his stance. Um, Obviously, you, you for all of these organizations, you or, or even as an individual, you you want to be right the first time. Um, but if you're not, certainly, uh, I, I'm glad that they're getting it right this time. Um, so, uh, I I haven't talked to the players specifically about what they have planned or if they have anything planned. I'm sure that they do, and they'll be supported by us.
4: Uh, Brandon, we really appreciate you jumping on. And as, uh, yeah. as as you probably know, Tim and I have not. Um, shied away from any difficult discussion at all since the public execution of George Floyd. We, uh, we've we been honest with each other, with any guests that's come on, and we're kind of proud that we've had a forum where we can do that for a lot of friends of this show and you're one of them. So we appreciate you coming on, and, and we appreciate your honesty. Thanks, Brendan. Appreciate it.
6: Thanks, guys. Thanks very much.
2: Thank you, Brendan, for opening up in that conversation. We will keep it going after the break. With Matt Dumba, a founding member of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. This is the Best of Tim and Sid, and you're listening on Sportsnet 590 the Fan. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Best of Tim and Sid. We truly appreciate the conversation with Brendan Shanahan and wanted to further it by looking back at our interview with Matt Dumba, a founding member of the Hockey Diversity Alliance and winner of the King Clancy Trophy in the NHL awarded to the player or players who best exemplify leadership qualities on and off the ice and have made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in their communities. That's Matt Dumba. And this is Matt Dumba.
4: Matt, welcome to the show. How are things, man? How you holding up?
7: Yeah, doing good, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Of course, of course. Uh, We wanted to learn a little bit more about about what you guys are doing with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And I I heard Wardo talking yesterday uh, on Hockey Central, and it sounds like this is something that's been in the works for a while. Is that right?
7: Yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a group of us that we were talking since November, and then it, it kind of just dwindled down to um, to this crew talking together. Um, major, basically, just because um, at one point or another we've all played together or our friends, so. Um, it's nice to have a close knit group like that, and um, but like as of these last two weeks, we've been uh, we've been talking every day or every other day for um, hours on end. So um, we've got a lot we want to share with uh, with the world and with the hockey community. And um, you know, yesterday was just an announcement. So um, there's gonna, there's going to be big things to come from this.
4: Matt Dumba, Minnesota Wild, here on Tim What were you? Were you anticipating the reaction to the news yesterday, Matt? What, did, did part of the reaction surprise you? How would you, how would you characterize it?
7: Um, you know, looking at, looking back at it last night, um, you know, we are we were pumped uh, about the support um, that people were showing for us. Um, it was a little bit overwhelming. My, uh, my Twitter and my Instagram uh, were just going nuts. Uh, There's people, people from everywhere reaching out, um, saying that they want to be involved and um, they want to uh, they want to have a hand in this. So um, the more the merrier. This thing is uh, we're we're a group of uh, of guys who want to uh, include everyone and kind of break down these racial barriers and just kind of er er eradicate uh, racism altogether in our game. So um, the more people who are on board with that and. Support um, our message and what we're trying to do. Um, you know that's just that's just gonna uh, that's just gonna create what we, we what we all believe is um,
2: you know completely removing
7: racism for a game for generations to come, and um, that's one of our biggest goals.
2: Matt Dumba joining us here on Tim and Sid. Uh, so so then, how do we start? How do we take the steps yeah. together? We're we're here for you. What are, what are the first couple steps that you guys? kind of want to take in implementing this and, and getting it out there to, to the masses?
7: So, within the next couple of days, um, you know, we're going to have Twitter and Instagram uh, kind of giving people the updates on what's going on with our group um, with our Alliance. Um, you know, so more people can get involved. Um, we are we've got a fiscal sponsor that will come out and we're going to be a nonprofit, um, nonprofit charity, and we're just looking to really start at grassroots, grassroots hockey, um, and just promote diversity um, from there. And I think everyone that can agree that that's where it's that's where it starts. That's where my first incident with racism. That's where everyone that I've talked to first experiences that is in minor hockey. So, reaching out to those. Um, associations, you know, um, minor hockey leagues, you know, across Canada, North America to kind of commit to um, somewhat of a, a code of conduct and hold hold everyone accountable. Um, and then it's, and then there's a bunch of different things we're doing, um, just trying to make the game more accessible um, from an economic standpoint and just try to reach and grow our game uh, as much as we can. Um I guess that I guess that's a, a little piece of it. I don't
2: yeah. know. <laughs> I there anything else? No, you know what? I'm so glad that you mentioned minor hockey. Yeah. And and listen, I grew up in the rinks among other athletic facilities. And it's it's one thing to bring the idea to the NHL, and we all know that there's cameras around NHL games, and people are a lot more careful and polished. And but to, to take it to minor hockey where it's probably needed more. At least in my experience, it's probably needed more than it is at the NHL level. How do we how do we do that, Matt? Like, I, I'm so glad that's part of it, but do we know how we get into those? And and I'm not just talking major cities; I'm talking about all across Canada and the world.
7: Um. Yeah, and that's that's awesome, and that's that's what we're exactly trying to do is try to get into those things. And one thing I think. Um, Will help us is you know hopefully working with the league um, to implement because you know every little every little kid who's playing hockey has a favorite hockey player or someone they look up to so getting more guys involved um, who are just not only minorities but you know the the McDavid's Sidney Crosby's um, Austin Matthews um, really everyone across the board trying to get them. Um, on board with our message because I know those I know a lot of those guys and just seeing the Elport uh, guys um, guys supporting us. Um, you know, guys are gonna be guys are gonna be committed to that. And the more faces we have towards that, more guys as working as ambassadors um, for the for the HDA. Uh, I think that's just that's just gonna go. On to you know further this yeah. thing as or take the thing as far as we possibly can. So okay. to reach all those communities, we got you know I got teammates in Europe, you know I got teammates all across Canada, all across the U.S. So it's you know putting putting recognizable faces out there, guys who want to who want to lead in their communities, and you start uh, working from there, uh, one community at a time, and. Um, I'm sure it's going uh, to, hope, I hope, just the way I'm thinking, I hope it gets
4: it all like wildfire. Matt Dumba of the Minnesota Wild and member of the Hockey Diversity Alliance here on Tim and Sid. Matt, uh, Timmy and I have been talking a lot at Colin Kaepernick this show. Uh, only one of us of, of, of the three in the conversation has actually spoken to Kaepernick in the last week and a half, and I believe it's you. Uh, um, did, he, did he show up on a Zoom call or, or, or a call that the Hockey Diversity Alliance had how did that happen? What was that like? Just kind of just walk me through it.
7: Yeah, um, Cap came on a couple of Zoom calls. Um, one was like a two hour long call, and he would There was points where I was like, I- "Is this guy still here?" And <laughs> then, and then he, would start talking, and guys were just was dead silence, like everyone's listening, and just uh, his his just wisdom and um just support of us really um was just so powerful even right now talking about it it's giving me chills um man of this stature um seeing what this guy's done over the last five years um for for the people that are injustice the police brutality um you know he's been at the forefront of it. so to have him in our conversation i know all of us were um, a little bit taken away um but it, it was really cool to just see his insight um, and kind of just advice that he was giving us and uh, the support he's shown. And he said he even want he wants to continue to show that. So um, hopefully we will hear from Cap uh, a little bit more down the road too. You
4: know, how much funny. hockey? Sorry, let me go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to ask, how much hockey did he know? Like, what were the conversations like about the game itself? Like, how, how up to speed was it?
7: Um well he knew is was mostly white dudes um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yep but uh um no we didn't really talk too much hockey uh it was kind of about us our vision um and he's just a big supporter of it you know staying unified and you know I'm not 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 thinking small minded or, or staying with inside the box you know he, you know everything that he's done he's gone beyond and be up um Above and beyond, and you know, for us, I think we're just scratching the surface um, right now, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna dive into this and see how far this thing or how big this thing can uh, really get. So um, that was kind of his message, and it definitely uh, resonated with all of us, and kind uh, of even yeah pushed us even more to uh, to get the HDA uh, out there and. Uh, get more
2: people on board. Uh, last one from me, Matt. And this this is kind of th- the conversation when Colin Kaepernick took a knee in peaceful protest. Um, he took a ton of heat at that time, and even Kim Aliu, when he came out with with his story about what he went through in the game, took a lot of heat. Have you noticed a difference in people's reactions? To you wanting to bring this to the surface from four years ago when Cap did it, and even four months ago when Akeem had the courage to come forward.
7: Yeah, I think those guys for sure have broken down some barriers for us. Um, you know these these conversations, these this topic, everything around it. Um, it. it it's not the most comfortable at times, and change, change isn't comfortable, you know? But that's what we're striving for, is um, not only changing our game, but changing society as a whole. So, people people on both ends of it, of me and maybe the more ignorant person or um, someone who doesn't know as much, I, I think we all just have to um, be acceptance of where people are in this. And, you know, just all try to grow and learn together. Um, We all are learning and growing every day as individuals. So, um, you know, these conversations that I've had with some of my closest friends, like conversations I've never had before, never even like dove into. And, you know, there's there's been tears. There's been, you know, hugs, smiles, laughs. Like thinking back on um, all these times, um, it's crazy. Um, so I think just having just us even talking about it right now is just promoting more people to talk about this, um, speak their mind, speak what they've gone through and just so everyone can see it through a different perspective. Um, cause when you see all those perspectives, that's when you can really sit back and form your own, form your own opinion and your own views. And, and that's what we're trying to change right now.
4: Matt Dumbo of the Minnesota Wild here on Tim and Sid. I was going to, before you before you said what you said towards the end of that answer, Matt, I was going to ask you, because I remember going back to the Bill Peters story with Akeem, and you didn't see the reaction from the hockey community, especially early in that story. And I won't really forget that. Um, this has been different. And I was going to ask you, my concern on air, and I've said this on air, Matt, like I've seen people on social media, I've seen all the statements. My concern is, I hope this is uh, a movement other than a moment, or I hope people aren't just doing things on social media and saying things on social media because they think it's the cool thing to say. Forgive me for phrasing that way, but I have no other way to phrase it. The What you just said at the end of that last answer, though, is it, it blows away that, that thought. Because, I mean, it sounds like there have been real emotional conversations you've had with people, and you do believe this is a movement rather than a moment. Uh,
7: man, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I shared some tears with one of my best friends, um, Dylan Hetherington. Um, this morning, we're working out, and he said, I don't know at what point in time that I might have said something or said something. And to, You know, little kids, you're trying to be cool. You're trying to fit in on a team. Guys saying stuff, and he's like, I don't know, but I know there's at some point I may have crossed the line. I just want to know. I'm not going to do, I will not do that again. And I'm here for you. I'm here for you, brother. I love you. He said this to me at the end of our work. i just like, stop me. Music was on. I'm gasped from my sets. And he said this to me. I was like, like if I, if I'm having conversations like that, I know other people are. And, um, you know, that's, that's what really, t- that's what really touches me because, um, yeah, people, people could be putting out stuff and, you know, not holding um, not holding up their end of the bargain. Whereas I think if more and more people get involved and get talking about this, you know, you have that you have that obligation. And that's something that I put in my statement when I said it is, yes, I was I've been silent through a lot of this, yet I, I won't be silent no more. I won't, you know, I'm gonna work tirelessly to to do what I believe in to support um, to support these social injustices, um, you know, to eradicate racism in our game, um, to help our youth and, and help our youth um, learn and you know be be great people because um, that's what we wanna that's what we want to breed. And I think the HD HDA uh, I think all all the guys would say the same. So um, we're all in this together, man and yeah, uh absolutely it's been uh it's been a crazy ride right now but um through this month from now i'll talk to you guys again uh, i won't let you forget um you know and, and that's what it is holding each other accountable uh, as well so um i hope i hope we don't forget i hope this everything doesn't just blow over like it has in, has in years past and then there's only one or two guys still carrying the carrying the flag like cap you know it takes. It's going to take a lot more for us to make a real, real change, real commitment,
2: you know? Well, you said at the start of this, and I wrote it down, uh, let's start sharing. We're here for you. Anytime that you want to share, uh, we are human beings. We are trying to contribute to the betterment of our society and get to equality, and there is, it is never wrong to do what's right. So if you need us, we're here, okay?
7: Appreciate
2: you guys. All right.
4: Thanks, Thanks be man. Be well, Matt. Take care, man. Hey, you
7: guys. You guys, take it easy. Eh?
4: Thanks again to Matt. After
2: the break, we will be joined by Kevin Blackistone, a journalist, professor, and he spoke to us in the wake of the Bubba Wallace NASCAR scandal. It was a passionate conversation, and you don't want to miss it. You're listening to the best of Tim and Sid on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Welcome back to the best of Tim and Sid to look back at some of our favorite interviews. From the year, as we continue the conversation on athletes and activism, we can't ignore what happened to NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace this summer, a black driver in a predominantly white sport. Wallace ended up involved in a scandal which had the FBI checking in. Kevin Blackistone, longtime journalist and professor at the University of Maryland, joined Sid and I for an eye-opening conversation. Kevin, welcome
4: back to the show. How are you doing?
3: Good. How about you guys?
4: I'm good. good. I'm good. Yeah. I really? have. Uh, it has taken me, Kevin. Full disclosure: I'm a hothead, so I'll have an opinion very quick. <laughs> I I have been trying to absorb um, the NASCAR story specifically in the last 24 hours. For all of those 24 hours, right? And I heard I I heard all of Don Lemon's interview with Bubba Wallace last night. I saw the Gail King interview this morning on CBS, and I mm-hmm. saw him on with Steve with Stephen A. and Max on First Take on ESPN. I believe there is a part of this young man, he couldn't say it publicly, but there's a part of this young man who doesn't buy the findings. Have you picked up on that at all in hearing him speak over the last day?
5: Yeah, because he, uh, he used the word embarrassment, I think, in his statement, um, to which my reaction is, you have nothing to be embarrassed for. Um, if there is a hate crime that has been perpetrated, It's a hate crime by NASCAR for the past 72 years, in which it has done more to normalize through its promulgation and commodification um, the Confederate flag and the Confederate imagery in this country, which has solely to do with white supremacy Um, than any other sport. And so whether that rope was a noose or not, to me, matters very little. Because NASCAR, as a sporting uh, giant um, in this country, uh, has, until just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, boldly embraced much of what a, the noose stands for symbolically in this country um, as it pertains to the progeny of enslaved Africans. So to me, this is um, a bit of a distraction. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is is that um, NASCAR has a lot more to wrestle with, a lot more reckoning to do, when it comes to his racial um, understanding in this country than whether or not a rope or a handle in a garage um, was a noose meant to threaten Bubba
2: Wallace. Kevin Blackstone joining us here on Tim and Sid. I listened to everything that you said, but, and the one thing that, that I, I, I can't believe we have to say it, but Bubba Wallace didn't find the noose. Uh, Bubba no. Wallace didn't report the news, but now he's the one having to answer for the news and listen exactly. to the hate. How do we tell people that's the problem, Kevin? That,
5: and that's and that's not the problem. And and I don't I don't know Bubba Wallace, um, but I, I had hoped and I wish maybe he will tomorrow, um, express what you just said. This is this this is not his problem. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a problem that NASCAR has had. Th- this is a problem that um, that much of its fan base has had. And I'll just I'll just say up front, I joke about it sometimes. Um, I'm a fan of car racing. I'm a fan of stock car racing. Have been ever since I was a kid. I used to make the model cars, and and I would make you know the model cars out of the NASCAR. Uh, my favorite NASCAR. Cars that I would see on on uh, on uh, on the TV on the weekends. Um, I used to be in a NASCAR fantasy league. I've covered NASCAR, and I've also written about NASCAR's problem with Confederate imagery. So um, yeah, he has absolutely nothing to apologize for. And you know, this kind of reminds me of what happened or what has happened with baseball in this country, or the way that baseball has handled um, its its um, 60-year history um, before Jackie Robinson uh, was allowed to play the game. Uh, first in Montreal, of course, and then the next season in 1947 in the major leagues in the states. And they have basically whitewashed that history. And so now they celebrate. Um, you know, we, we, we've gotten to this celebration Uh, of a generation now of Jackie Robinson. His number's been retired into perpetuity, and we have Jackie Robinson Day. But baseball has never, never wrestled with the story that created Jackie Robinson in the first place in that 60 years. Three generations of playing this sport, which became America's pastime, while refusing to allow men who were progeny of enslaved Africans to play the game. Never. Never. And I'll tell you something else, too. You can go to Cooperstown, and you can go to the to the Hall of Fame, and you can look at the plaque of a guy in there by the name of Cap Anson, who was considered the greatest baseball figure in the 19th century. But the one problem with Cap Anson's plaque in Cooperstown is that it doesn't highlight his biggest, um, the biggest imprint that he left on baseball. And that is, is that he was the personality who most, um, uh, who most forcefully drew the color line in baseball. And so that's another monument that needs to be dealt with. Um, but that's what this reminds me of. It's like all of a sudden the script has been, the, the script has been flipped. This ain't about Bubba Wallace. This is about NASCAR. Right, they're the ones that need to issue the apologies. They're the ones that need to do the reckoning. Not Bubba Wallace.
2: And, and he's the one that's feeling the heat on whenever he opens his phone. And that's that's the one part right. of this that bugs me the most is that like he didn't call it upon himself in no. any way, shape, or form. But now people have this response like this smugness that he was like, wow, now we know. And it's like, I, he didn't call any of this. That's part of the problem is the response to someone. Part of the problem is the response to someone who had nothing to do with this. No, exactly.
5: And I tell you what, what's really nauseating about this at another level. Um, these people coming out and call it a hoax. He, he, he did this for some reason to draw attention. Um, that's what, that's what white Southerners, white supremacists in this country used to do in the 1960s when someone fighting in the Civil Rights Movement would, go dis, would disappear or their, their house would blow up um, and they would say that it's just a hoax. Um, that's what was said about the three civil rights workers who went missing in Mississippi. It's a hoax. Doing it themselves, he went someplace else. He just went home. Right. That's nauseating to me for people to actually insinuate that this is somehow something that Bubba Wallace made up.
4: But as as we already mentioned, Kev, they left him out there last yep. night and today. They left him. I was floored. Like the like whoever's running NASCAR. Forgive me. I'm not that guy with NASCAR. It's a lot of left turns. I'm not usually a huge NASCAR. Right. Guy. I hear you. But whoever's whoever's running NASCAR. There was a nice statement made before that first race when they came yep. back, over the radio, not on camera, over the radio, and there was another conference call yesterday. They have not appeared on camera. They have not had to do what Bubba Wallace has done on some of the biggest outlets, in, never mind right. North America, the world. I mean, right. I, and, but I, but I'm not holding my breath on NASCAR oh, having shoulder to shoulder. Like, do you think they're going to have some press conference to try and alleviate some of the pressure on this young man? I don't they see they can't.
5: Happened no they they can't because we have to remember it was just a few weeks ago that they still had the confederate flag draped over their shoulders just a few weeks ago you know i i I, it is it is maddening you know where were they when when black worshipers were murdered at mother emmanuel church in South Carolina, by someone sickened with white supremacy, and who saw the Confederacy and the Confederate flag as an inspiration. You know, all NASCAR did then was say, "Well, you know, we'll try and discourage people from um, from from using this flag at our, at our events." That was it. So of course they can. They just last week brought in their first person who is at the level of a vice presidency for diversity and inclusion just the other week. So they have no, they have no intellectual empathy within their organization to deal with a situation like this because they've never dealt with it before purposely.
2: Kevin Blackstone joining us here on Tim and Sid. I want to ask a tough question for the sake of dialogue because I believe the dialogue is important. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a tough spot. You know, Sid and I are sitting here doing a sports show and we're trying to judge the authenticity of words that we hear from leagues and and executives who are overwhelmingly white, which I find tough to do each and every day. And, and you, want to, you want to feel like people aren't being disingenuous. But you know That people are being disingenuous. I saw several people say over the last little while that NASCAR, who, as we've acknowledged here, did something that was too long in coming. Mm -hmm. But I saw people say that they they argued that NASCAR did more with their words over the last week and a half for their one black athlete than the NFL has done for their 1,000 black athletes how do you weigh that
5: um i would um <laughs> i would disagree um I, I mean it's it's easy to come out and support one person who has who's found themselves in a very unfortunate um situation mm-hmm. um and that so far, that's the easy thing for um, for NASCAR to do. But NASCAR in no way, in no way, measures up to, um, no matter what we think of the NFL, mm-hmm. but in, in no way measures up to what the NFL and the black players within the NFL um, have done over the years when it comes to um, what we refer to as Diversity, certainly, um, when it comes to what everyone now is, is called social justice, uh, there is there is absolutely there's there's no comparison. Um, so far, so far, as far as I'm concerned, all the NASCAR has done is is, um, is is performative sorts of things. They haven't done anything to address the systemic problems within their organization. Right. I mean, the NFL has—you know—the NFL, you know, just a couple of years ago, the NFL had more black coaches than it ever had before, <laughs> and then uh, a bunch of them got fired in one fell swoop, and they went back to a horrible number. Um, there have been people who have worked in the front offices at um, at, at the NA, NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, they've they've long—they're—they're they're well past. Um, where the where NASCAR is right now,
4: Kevin Blackstone here on Tim and Sid. Um, finally, Kevin, before we go, yeah, what was Monday still significant? The walking behind Bubba, that moment where where sure. grown ass man supported a, a grown ass man, regardless of race or color. Does, does any of that change in terms of how special that moment actually was because of what? has been announced. You
5: know, I won't I told somebody today I said that was a great piece of theater. And I didn't mean it as I didn't mean it as a I didn't mean it derogatorily. But what I meant was it was performative. And it looked great. And Bubba Wallace was moved. And you could not have envisioned NASCAR having having done that a few years ago. But you know what? Up until a few years ago, NASCAR could not have done that, right? Because you had one black driver in the 1960s, you had a bunch more in the mid-2000s, and now you got Bubba Wallace. Um, So its diversity program had not given it an opportunity for something like that to happen in response um, to something that... Uh, May or may not have happened um, to Bubba Wallace. Uh, But it's going to take a lot more than one march um, at one event um, for NASCAR to clean up 72 years of its history um, in which it wrapped itself in the image in the
2: image of white supremacy in this country thank you once again Kevin and for those who still wonder about that story consider this full disclosure FBI determined the pull-down handle had been in the stall since at least October 2019 about a year earlier but NASCAR also asked officials at every track to check their garages Out of the 1,684 garage stalls at 29 tracks, only 11 had a garage door pull-down rope tied in a knot. And the only one, fashioned in a noose, was discovered in Wallace's stall. As I've said a couple of times, it's important to keep the lines of communication open and look at each other as human beings. Because all we talked about today was equality in various forms, but the ask was the same. Equality, and if you're against equality, you're just on the wrong side of history. So as 2020 comes to a close, one, be smart tonight, two, let's take care of each other, and three, 2020 has been one of the toughest years most of us can remember, if not the toughest. But it also might be the most important year of them all. Don't worry, Fart Jokes return on Monday. Happy New Year, everybody.